Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. I am Kieran Mulvaney and I am here along with my co-host Eric Raskin. Or am I? It's kind of like a Schrodinger's Raskin here because (laughs) while we record the podcast, Raskin is here. By listening to the podcast, he isn't here. What's going on? It's a very strange thing. Yes, by the time you listen to this podcast, Eric won't be here, wherever he is. He'll be chilling somewhere, off abiding like the dude or some such. Isn't that right? Uh, well, uh, not uh, drinking white Russians like the dude, uh, due to not lactose tying the not together being with my a, friend. Oh, that's right. Not tying <laughs> the room together with a rug? No, I probably won't be doing that. probably won't be bowling either. But uh, but just the chilling like the dude part, yes, that is true. I'll be chilling on a beach. Uh, although uh, my mom is very insistent that you shouldn't announce publicly, like on Facebook or Twitter or, I guess, podcasts, that you're going on vacation because, you know, potential burglars are prowling the Internet just waiting for people to talk about going away but the good news is i don't have anything anyone would want to steal so i'm not scared uh but anyway indeed family beach week lots of pale-skinned raskins keeping the sunscreen industry (laughs) churning with heavy doses of spf 75s day after day good times all around nice nice yeah so actually uh in the same way that we've had to be a little bit creative during august with some of the podcasts with the boxing calendar being so light we're going to actually have to be uh, the same with the podcast over several of the coming weeks. So Eric's off this week. Uh, and then a couple of weeks after that, uh, I will be in the Arctic following in the footsteps of long dead explorers and hopefully not becoming one myself. <laughs> we get to set the bar nice and low. Yeah. And, you know, so, even if it goes poorly, you won't be a long dead explorer, at least not initially. That's true. That's true. It's like freshly dead. Right. Not dead yet. Um, <laughs> So I'll be doing that for the bulk of September. Uh, I'm not sure how we're going to deal with that. Um, we'll figure it out. It might be Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Raskin for a couple <laughs> of weeks. We'll see. Anyway, this week, important note, as a result of uh, Eric's beach going, uh, we are recording on a Friday. So we're not going to have recaps the most recent weekend's action. If there is anything that we need to circle back to, um, we will do that in next week's pod. Uh, but we do have some cards to preview and we begin in the boxing hotbed of Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. We're on Friday. Showbox, the new generation, returns with a triple header of action. Yes, kicking off the broadcast, uh, which begins at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific, we have super bantamweight action as Arnold Hagai takes on Vladimir Tikhonov over eight rounds. Then it's 10 rounds in the super lightweight division as Shojahan Ergashev returns to Showbox to take on Abdiel Ramirez. Uh, We'll look at those two bouts shortly, but first, let's explore the main event which sees experienced amateur and undefeated pro Vladimir Shishkin face off against DeAndre Ware at 168 pounds. Kieran, it's Shishkin's first time on Showtime. Uh, It's his first time fighting in the United States, in fact. What can you tell us about him? Well, here's something unusual to begin with, possibly without precedent, as far as I can tell. Um, So his first professional contest, Shishkin, was in 2016. But his most recent amateur bout was... In December 2018. Um, Yeah, as far as we can tell, it appears that Shiskin has actually been competing simultaneously as a professional and in amateur contests over the last couple of years. Uh, As I mentioned, he turned pro in 2016, fought twice that year, three times in 2017, three times last year. Meanwhile, he maintained his amateur career. He won a silver medal at the 2017 Moscow Championships, made the quarterfinals of that year's Russian National Championships, and last year won the coveted World Cup of Petroleum Countries. Um... (laughs) That that is, an, that's a real thing right you weren't just making that up yeah i'm not okay. actually making that up no okay. 
Uh, it's possible that Gordon Hall is making it all up. <laughs> right. Just to make I sure doubt it. it. I doubt it also. It doesn't seem like he's that kind of fellow. But that is a unusual career path. I'm not. I don't even know how that's able to happen. But it's Russia, so I don't know. Shrug emoji. Um, <laughs> so as for actually how he got involved in boxing, what his story is, he said, uh, "My uncle brought me to my uncle brought me to the boxing." He says, uh, "I was uh, 11 years old. There was only soccer and boxing in the village. The choice was obvious. Well, not to me actually, but apparently, to, <laughs> apparently to him. Uh, there in Russia, it is still rush, rough and dangerous, especially in the villages. I had to stand up for myself. Also, girls in Russia choose the strongest boy, and I like girls, which seems like the most Russian explanation for turning <laughs> turning to boxing uh, that I I know. So. Um, yeah, so pretty a decent without being exceptional amateur. Um, climbed up the ranks uh, there in the amateurs before turning pro. Uh, he's 8-0 with five KOs as a professional. In his most recent outing, he knocked out Najib Mohammadi in 10 rounds, flooring him a total of four times, including three times in the final round. And the final, uh, in that final 10th round, the final knockdown was just absolutely flattened him. Um, if that name sounds familiar, you may remember Mohammadi suffering back-to-back Second round KO losses to Sergei Kovalev and Alexander Vozdik a few years ago. But um, he had recently dropped a close and highly controversial decision to former belt holder Fedor Chudinov. So he was still in and around that kind of, you know, like mix. Um, so for a guy with just seven pro fights to do that to him is, is pretty impressive, I think. Uh, that said... Uh, he does. He says he does see himself primarily as a boxer rather than a puncher. He uh, says particularly that he wants to be a complete boxer with the ability to fight on the inside and the outside. And he name-checked Andre Ward as the kind of boxer that he'd like to be. Um, and to that end, he is now fighting out of the U.S. Uh, he signed with Dimitri Sidi, the promotions. And he's training now with Sugar Hill Stewart, who's trying to get him to sit down on his punches a bit more and develop a bit more power. But... From what I've seen, he does have some pretty decent pop already. Interesting-looking boxer-puncher type. Mm-hmm. Um, his opponent, DeAndre Ware, uh, shares one similarity with Shiskin. Uh, neither have been pros for a long time. Uh, Shiskin turned pro three years ago, Ware four. Um, but Ware started boxing much later in life, not until he was about 22. Um, that didn't hinder him, of course, in his last showbox appearance when he upset... Previously undefeated Ronald Ellis over 10 rounds in February. Uh, Eric, remind listeners... What kind of a fighter DeAndre Ware is, and what does he have to do to take away Shiskin's O as he did Ronald Ellis's? Well, he has to let his hands go more than he did against yeah. Ellis, for starters. Uh, for those who've forgotten the Ellis fight, Ware won a majority decision. It was really close. I had it a draw myself, and Ellis used a lot of movement. And that kept Ware from being able to really open up. I don't think that'll be the case against Shishkin. Yeah. Uh, Shishkin has a straight-up European style. He doesn't move his head a lot. He uses his legs a little, but it's mostly to circle and get the right distance. He's certainly not a runner. Um, if there's something to prevent Ware from letting his hands go in this fight, it'll be the punches coming back at him. Uh, mm. But to win this fight, I think Ware is going to have to be willing to take some punches um, in, in order to, to get through. Uh, although he has to be very aware of Shishkin's right hand. Uh, yep. You don't want to take yeah. too many of those. But uh, he's going to have to go to the body a lot, I think. He live up to that Axeman nickname of his and chop away at the body. And generally out-hustle Shishkin. Um, you know, he, he was very measured in the fight against Ellis. And uh, it, it narrowly got the job done. I don't think he can be so measured here if he yeah. wants to win. He needs to discourage Shishkin, fire enough to make him uncomfortable. Ware has a good jab. He'll need to use that. 
and he needs to start fast. Shishkin hasn't fought in 10 months, uh, at least not professionally. I'm not sure about his amateur fights uh, in the interim. Uh, so uh, maybe there will be opportunities early while Shishkin's shaking off a, a little rust. Where's a good solid fighter, but uh, without totally giving away my pick, I'll just say I think Shishkin is a higher level of prospect than Ronald Ellis was. Where will need to be better than he was in scoring that mild upset win in February. All right. The co-main event uh, also sees the return of a recent Showbox alum in the form of Shojahan, descendant of Tamerlane Ergashev, who takes on Abdiel Ramirez. Kieran, if I recall correctly, you were extremely excited to see Ergashev in action back in February, not least because of his nickname. (laughs) Uh, On fight night, though, he was less than spectacular, even while scoring a clear victory over Michael Fox. Was that just a function of Fox's unique size and style? Do you expect to see the Ergashev on Friday that you would hope to see last time out? And what can you tell us about his opponent, Ramirez? Yeah, I do. I do think like the big problem there was a function of, you know, and we worried about it in our preview, as I recall, for that fight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and anytime you have either Michael or Orlantes Fox in the ring, you just wonder if the fight's going to be stinky, whatever happens. Um, it's It's just the way they fight combined with... You know, they're the kind of challenge, physical challenge that you're just not likely to, to face again um, because of their extreme height and, and their range and the way they fight. Uh, they, they do just kind of stink the place out. And, and I think that was part of I think that was a large part, actually, um, of what happened. Uh, the likelihood of facing too many other opponents like with those kind of dimensions is pretty remote. In fact, <laughs> in Ramirez, uh, Ergashev is meeting somebody at the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Um, he's just five, five and a half fully five inches shorter than Ergashev. So the matchmakers are just messing with the guy at this point. <laughs> um, uh, look, Ramirez is no slouch. He's a two-time Mexican lightweight champion. He enters the ring with a professional record of 24-4-1. and one. His first 25 fights were in Mexico, and his last four have been in the United States. But he's lost three of those four to Ruslan Madriev in September 2017, to the recently deceased Maxim Dadashev in March 2018, and last time out to... 2008 Olympian Javier Molina, which kind of suggests that maybe he's found his limit here. Um, He's a strong, aggressive fighter, but he can sometimes neglect his defense, which could prove to be a real problem against the bigger, hard-punching Urgashev. He's got this, if you don't remember, or if you felt, you know, you weren't able to fully assess his style based on his outing against Michael Fox, Urgashev is really... In an ideal scenario, he's got that real kind of seek and destroy style. Uh, 14 of his 16 wins have come inside the distance. Um, he is also trained by Sugar Hill Stewart, who is going to have a busy night on Friday. Um, Sugar Hill said that, quote, it's been hard to find sparring for him because he's fighting a small guy, a little shorter and a southpaw. I like to get sparring like they're going to have in the fight, but I can't get nobody to spar show Jahan. He just punches too big. I have to continually put him in there with big guys, super middleweights and middleweights. If I put him in there with somebody his size, he just runs right through him. I can't even begin to think about finding somebody 5'4", a little shorter guy, a southpaw. I can't put him in there with anybody like that. He won't take it easy on anybody. He's going hard all the time. I just put him in there with good local guys, and that's all I can do. Um, It was said of Tamerlane, who, if you missed the history lesson in our preview (laughs) of his last fight, was a Turco-Mongol conqueror in the 14th century. That's, quote, whenever he went... He brought about destruction, massacres, burning, looting, and dishonor to women. I don't know about the last part, uh, (laughs) but with no offense intended to Ramirez, I would not be surprised at all to see some destruction in the ring on Friday. Uh, Opening things up, it is Ukraine versus Russia. 
as Odessa's Arnold Hugai Jr. takes on Vladimir Tikhonov of St. Petersburg. Eric, what can we expect from this eight-round opener? Well, we can expect Hagai to be the aggressor, for starters. He is a mean little left-hooking machine, <laughs> whereas Tikhonov is a tall southpaw with good skills and speed who will look to box and, well, stay the hell out of the way of that Hagai left hook. Um, both have fought on Showbox, though those appearances predate Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, so it's debatable whether they count. Exactly. Hagai uh, <laughs> is 2-0 and on Showbox, whereas Tikhanov is 0-1. His lone loss on his 17-1 record came when he got stopped by Jesse Hernandez in 2017. Hagai has two unanimous points wins in eight rounders on Showbox, and he definitely comes in as the favorite, the A-side here. Uh, Tikhanov said, quote, Arnold is aggressive and at times reckless. I will show him what boxing skills are about. Uh, I don't know about the latter part, whether he will uh, give him a boxing <laughs> lesson or not, but uh, Hagai is aggressive and reckless is maybe a bit strong, but his defense is his weak spot. So there will be openings. The question is whether Tikhanov can take advantage of them. All right, it is prediction time. And as always with Showbox, we will limit our predictions to the main event. I am currently leading our picks competition 58 points to 52, which, as we all know, means Kieran has me right where he wants me. <laughs> uh, Kieran, it's your turn to pick first. How do you see Shishkin versus Ware? Um, so, yeah, like I said, Shishkin says that he sees himself as a boxer, but he's an aggressive boxer. Um, he, he's nice and tidy. Uh, his elbows are tucked. You know, he's got a wide, aggressive stance, walks forward behind a good jab. And as you alluded to, he's got that really nice, sneaky, fast right hand. Um, he's used that right hand to score uh, some body shot KOs, and he used it to ultimately mess up the veteran Muhammad pretty badly. Um, yeah. We know what Ware is going to do, and, and you already talked about it. He's going to look to swarm and smother and maul his guy on the inside and wear him down. Um, but it looks to me like Shiskin can fight pretty well on the inside. Um, the one thing it does look like he does sometimes do is put the earmuffs on a bit when someone is throwing combinations at him. But again, as you talked about, the problem is, is Ware going to be in that position where he's throwing a bunch of punches at him, uh, which is what he needs to do. I think... Probably Shiskin may have, and, and you already talked about this, some difficult moments early on with Ware. And, uh, he's, you know, he's just such an awkward, difficult guy to fight. And, you know, he's going to have to be prepared to trade with him. But I think eventually he's going to start timing him. He's going to be able to start uh, uh, keeping the distance just as he likes it in that kind of middle distance. Um, he'll step forward. We know Ware will step forward. Uh, I think it'll be a fun fight. I think that ultimately, though, the advantage that Shiskin has is punches are shorter, they're cleaner, they're tighter, they're snappier, whereas Ware's more of a brawler, and he kind of falls into his punches a little bit. He's so desperate to try and maul you that he sometimes kind of forgets that he's supposed to be throwing punches at the same time. Uh, he's effective not because of the sharpness of his punches, were, but, but because of his sheer physicality. Um, that can work against someone who's looking to keep the distance and box from range like Ronald Ellis, but I just don't think it'll be effective against someone who's happy to fight like Shiskin is. Um, so I think maybe after a fairly even first few rounds of the fight, I think Shiskin's cleaner punches will tell down the stretch. Where's tough, so I think he'll be there. Uh, but I see Shiskin, I think, winning a unanimous 96, 94, 97, 93 type of decision. All right. Well, I guess uh, I guess this is good news for you uh, that we have the same pick, which means no matter what, you're going to still I have still me have right you. where you want me. Right. <laughs> um, Shishkin is a, is a really big, strong, super middleweight. Looking at him, it's just it jumps out at you. He's just really 
put together and physically imposing. Yeah. Uh, and man, yeah, that that tremendous right hand uh, that, uh, that that beat up Muhammad. That is really something that Ware has to be, uh, yeah. pardon the pun, wary of. Uh, Ware has generally done well when stepping up. He's upset two unbeaten guys in his career, but I don't think he's making it three. Shishkin is fundamentally sound. I'm not sure Ware has what it takes to discourage him. But like you said, uh, Ware seems to be a tough guy, a durable guy. So in the end, I'm landing in the same place as you. Maybe not quite as close on the cards as, oh, okay. as what you just described, but that makes no difference in terms of the points we're scoring because I, too, am saying it goes the 10-round distance and Shishkin wins a unanimous decision. So those are our picks. Uh, now it's time for all of our listeners to make theirs. This Showbox card is part of the DraftKings Showtime Boxing Pick'em. Sign up at DraftKings.com Showtime and pick winners in all three fights, plus method of victory. If you think there will be a knockout, you pick a range of rounds. You score points for each correct prediction. The points leaders split $5,000 in prizes. And, of course, the Showtime swag bag, which, if you're like me and Kieran and you are utterly devoid of swag otherwise, having that bag to up your swag factor comes in handy. Thanks. Scale it 1 to 10. How much swag would you say I have, Kieran? Um, be honest. Be honest. Is, is there a minus scale? <laughs> <laughs> Limit it to what's the, the, the parameters of the question. One to ten. Give me a swag rating. One. Okay. All right. Now, how much swag do I have when holding a Showtime swag bag? Oh, a clear ten. Okay. Well, there you go. So that's, uh, that's what you're Anything better than swag, for. it's swag with a bag of swag. <laughs> that's right. Or lack of swag while <laughs> with a bag of swag to give one swag. All right, that's enough of that. Uh, anyway, the contest is really fun. It's free. DraftKings.com slash Showtime. Uh, so that's the Showbox show on Friday night. Uh, but there's no question about what the biggest fight of the whole upcoming weekend is. This Saturday, August 24th, Sergei Kovalev heads home to Chelyabinsk to defend his light heavyweight alphabet title against mandatory challenger Anthony Yardy. There's been a lot of outside-the-ring activity in the build-up to this one, some of it concerning whether the fight would even go ahead or whether Kovalev would instead fight Canelo Alvarez, and some of it revolving around Kovalev's personal behavior and legal issues. Uh, fighting at home, as we've discussed recently, can add extra pressure. And Kieran, you were ringside when Sergei last fought in Russia against Isaac Chalemba in nearby Ekaterinburg. Was there anything you saw during that outing uh, or anything you've seen of Kovalev over the last few weeks or months that makes you suspect this may be one of those homecomings that goes wrong? Oh, it just it does have the f little bit of a feeling that it has the, the elements of a possible upset here uh, um, based solely on what's going on with Kovalev. Uh, you know, so his, so his win against Chalemba against Ekaterinburg, it wasn't the most impressive of his wins. Um, it was the first time I think he'd been taking the distance for a while. And part of that was the fact that Chalemba's just a tough, awkward, experienced, and super durable dude. But, you know, the build-up was a little bit difficult. He spent quite a bit of time in Russia beforehand. Um, it was his first fight back there since he'd killed a guy in the ring mm. uh, in that same city uh, before he moved to the States. Um, and when we were there, we were hearing tales of how the whole event was bankrolled by some oligarch who was demanding that Sergei be available for events and whatever, 24-7. Um, you know, it's just tough. Just that It was just one of those cases where the whole pressure of the situation really weighed on him a little bit. And he said that as well in, in his post-fight interview um, in the ring. And, and that was 
Ekaterinburg, which is the big city close to Chelyabinsk. This isn't Chelyabinsk itself. This is where he was born, which is a whole other deal entirely. Um, and there are people there who – he's talked about this. There are people there who adore him because of money that he's pumped into the community and because he's one of their own. And there are people there who are jealous of him. Um so it's just there's just a lot going on. The one thing he has going in his favor this time compared to last time is that his training situation was breaking down last time. It was his first big sign of uh, the upcoming split from John David Jackson. You know, he would he was only with him in Russia for like the final couple of weeks of camp and he had other people working with him and and whispering in his ear. And this time he does at least appear to be a lot more centered uh, uh, training wise. Buddy McGurk mm. has been with him pretty constantly, I think. Um, and they seem to have a pretty good relationship. So. Against that, well, we're back to the outside the ring Kovalev chaos a little bit. Um, he went through a phase, we all know, where you know, his life was going off the rails and his car was literally going off the road. Um, right. And he insisted he was getting that under control. Um, but now there have been these incidents. Um, you know, that recent incident with being kicked off a plane. And I'm told there was an episode at the gate before that. Um, and then there's the ongoing legal issue about an alleged assault of a woman in Big Bear. Are these isolated incidents or are they indicative of something else going on, of Kovalev just being Kovalev again? Um, he's always struck me as one of those characters who's on the edge, right? I mean, I've always maintained that if he weren't a boxer, he would have found a profession that involved him doing harm to people somehow. Right. He's just that kind of guy. He'd have been wearing a black trench coat, right? And black gloves and like, beating up people in the back of bars for not paying back debts or something. Um, I don't know. His career has generally remained on track despite his inherent covaliveness, but it does feel a little bit like it might be in danger of getting out of control again. Uh, and I if he isn't 100% focused and ready, you know, Yardy will be waiting to spring that upset. And and as far as I can tell, during, you know, various shenanigans and on again and off again, Yardy seems to have just kept his head down yeah. and gotten on with things, right? I mean, we've touched on this fight a little bit over the preceding weeks, but mostly in the context of Kovalev and his behavior and was it going to get, you know, uh, uh, postponed again uh, so that Kovalev could fight Canelo we haven't really talked about Yardi and and leaving aside all the extraneous issues with Sergey here from a purely boxing perspective. How legit of a threat is he, do you think? Well, I'll tell you one respect in which Yardi isn't legitimate, and that's as a mandatory challenger. This is a great example right. of why the alphabet rankings are ridiculous and are completely disconnected from reality. Yardi is ranked as the number one contender in a talent packed division. Kovalev is being forced to fight him or give up his belt or pay right. a step-aside fee, and Yardi has zero wins over real contenders. I couldn't tell you who the biggest name or best fighter he's beaten is. Travis Reeves? Nicolas Yagloka? I'm sorry, but Yardi <laughs> hasn't earned a top 10 ranking, never mind a number one ranking. That said... He's a pretty darn talented fighter, and he mm. is a threat to Kovalev. Uh, the odds have kept closing and closing. Yardy's only about a plus 145 underdog last wow. I checked. Uh, yeah, people seem to believe he can pull this off. And look, Kovalev is just two fights removed from a knockout loss to a big underdog, so I, I get the sentiment. Um, but this one's in Russia. I don't expect the most level of playing fields, especially <laughs> with a payday close to $10 million, possibly awaiting Kovalev if he wins. I don't know. Uh, Anthony Yardy has obvious talent. I'm impressed with his punch variety. Uh, hooks, crosses, uppercuts. He really throws it all and could do damage with all those punches. 
I could absolutely see him stretching Kovalev. But it's also a huge step up in class for him. It's impossible to know if he's really ready. And that's part of what makes this fight so fascinating. A, a true crossroads fight. You know, it it might be too soon for one guy or it might be too late for the other right, guy. Right. Uh, but it's in Russia. And Buddy McGirt, who you mentioned, he seems to be bringing out the best in Kovalev. Sergey is the favorite for a reason. Mm. Uh, not too many other major fights this weekend, but a couple of note. In Mexico, Juan Francisco Estrada defends his 115-pound belt against Dwayne Beeman. Uh, that's in uh, Hermosillo, Mexico, atop a DAZN-streamed card that also features Liam Smith. And that same night on Fox Sports 1, 122-pound prospect-slash-contender Brandon Figueroa takes on Javier Nicolas Chacon. Anything interest you there? So I actually very nearly selected Figueroa for my fantasy draft last week. I can't remember if I mentioned him in the people we almost picked bit, but he was sort of he was on the periphery of my list. Right. Um, you know, he's a good looking kid. He's the younger brother of Omar, but appears to be a solid level above him, which I'm sure you in particular will be very happy to hear. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> he's got some he's already got some pretty solid notches on his belt. You know, guys like Oscar Escandon and Moises Flores and Yonfres Parejo. So I'm very keen to see his continued progress. Uh, uh, and, of course, Estrada, who, you know, after those couple of close losses to Chocolatito Gonzalez and Trisaket Sorung Visay, finally got the breakthrough that he deserved um, by outpointing uh, Sorung Visay earlier this year. Ah, oh, he's such a good fighter, Estrada. Yeah. Um, I think by general acclamation, he's somewhere in the top 10 pound for pound by most people's lists, you know, at least toward the bottom end of it, probably. But... Um, when he loses, he never loses by much. He's always a, he's always a delight to watch. Just a really good, aggressive technician. Yeah, um, Figueroa, at the very least, one thing he does better than Omar is show up in shape so far. So, so right. he's got that going for him. And uh, and then an, another reason to tune in, uh, at least uh, according to most of boxing Twitter, or at least uh, horny male boxing Twitter, is to see Brandon Figueroa's sister in the corner. People oh, seem okay. to like her. <laughs> and Kieran is will be tuning into this one now. <laughs> oh, but you'll be on the beach. Oh well, never yeah. mind. Yeah. Um, okay, other news. Uh, not much really new. Honestly, all our news items are just continuations of the major news items that have been occupying us and everybody else uh, over the past couple of weeks. Uh, so every day brings promises that Canelo may announce his next opponent. Quote perhaps by this evening. Uh, Mike Coppinger reported recently that DAZN has expanded its list of acceptable opponents to seven, so they're really turning the screws. <laughs> um, Gennady Golovkin meeting Sergei Derevyanchenko starts to sound more and more likely, it seems. Uh, Andy Ruiz Jr. continues to bulk at facing Anthony Joshua in Saudi Arabia, perhaps concerned at that country's per capita bone sore-related death and dismemberment rate. Um... Which has prompted AJ promoter Eddie Hearn to insist that Ruiz has no choice except to show up in Saudi or spend a long time in court. Uh, meanwhile, Joshua has for some reason chosen to respond to all this by trying to pick a fight with Lennox Lewis for some reason. Um, during a TV interview, and it was put to him that Lewis had rebounded from both his losses, AJ said simply that Lennox is a clown, which seemed a bit bit extreme mm -hmm. um and then he doubled down on it uh posting on instagram that uh always say it as it is a clown is a clown he can wipe his makeup off but his heart remains the same uh lennox has tried to remain above it all noting that aj had nothing bad to say about him until lennox criticized aj's negotiating stance over deontay wilder fight 
Um, I don't know really what the hell that's all about. Uh, whether, you know, AJ just feels that Lennox has been overly critical of him or whatever. I'm not entirely sure that that's where he wants to be putting his energy, but maybe it is. I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's been a very good year, I think, in boxing in many ways so far. But these ongoing soap operas over the last couple of weeks have been a bit soul-sapping. Um, what do you think? You got anything to add here? Um, yeah, a, a few thoughts. Um, I kind of want to say good for Andy Ruiz for resisting fighting yeah. in Saudi Arabia. Although... I have no idea if he's doing so based on morality or just on really wanting the fight to be in North America, wanting it to be close to home in either the U.S. or in Mexico. If I had to guess, I'd guess the fight will still go forward in Saudi Arabia on December 7th. Um, I don't know what the hell AJ is doing beefing with Lennox. Uh, It's weird, huh? Yeah, out of left field there. Joshua has pretty much always been a classy guy. So this seems out of character, and especially what you pointed out, that calling him a clown. Lennox is the farthest thing from a clown in modern heavyweight boxing. Um, And good Lord, uh, some people uh, getting in the middle of it and opining that AJ would beat Prime Lennox. That is, oh, I, I yeah, that. Uh, you know, that's it's it's just proof that the internet has given a voice to people who really <laughs> should have gone through life voiceless. Um, as for the Canelo saga, I'm really losing interest uh, until yeah. a fight is announced. Uh, you know, not a not a Mike Coppinger tweet telling people that a source says it's leaning a certain direction, but an actual announcement. I think I'm done caring. Uh, Canelo did indicate like a week ago that. He was going to wait for the Kovalev-Yardy result. I don't see why that would have changed. I assume we won't know anything more until after that fight. Um, but I should add the caveat with all of this stuff that because we're recording on Friday afternoon, right. these things are subject to change before the podcast posts. So if by the time you're listening to this, Canelo is signed to fight Conor McGregor and Lennox Lewis <laughs> has announced he's coming out of retirement to fight AJ in Antarctica. Well, uh, I guess we'll readdress those developments on next week's pod. I'll hit you up with a, with a text when you come back from vacation going, you're never going to believe this. <laughs> well, considering where I just set the bar, I, I, it, it would be tough to top any of that for unbelievability, but I guess we'll see. Um, before we go, we are going to dip into the mailbag. A reminder that you can always send us questions via Twitter with the hashtag AskShowPod, A-S-K-S-H-O-P-O-D. And here's one that was sent to us a few weeks back by VegCarl, at VegCarl1, but is especially appropriate in light of our fantasy draft from last week. He writes, Hello, folks. I love the show. Thanks for your hard work. Keep up the amazing work. My two-part question is regarding Teofimo Lopez and Gervonta Davis. First part, who will have the better career? Second part, if they fought now, who would be the favorite to win? So, Kieran, you drafted both Lopez and Davis onto your Rising Stars team last week. So what's your take? So I think I have different answers for the two parts. Um, To take second part first, right now, honestly, I'd pick Javante, I think, if they got in the ring now. Uh, Even though there's not that much difference in age, he just feels more accomplished, more polished, Um, He's been fighting a solid caliber of opponent. He's gone through his sort of mildly rough patch, as we discussed last week, in terms of behavior and missing weight. And he just seems to be maturing really well. He he has that solidity and excellent defense and hard-punching fast hands on the inside to to negate a lot of what Lopez does. But... Two or three years down the line, how would, how, or even beyond that, or come retirement time, how would their, their careers look? 
I still so, so I guess a lot depends. And again, we touched on this last week on whether top rank throws Lopez in with Vasily Lomachenko before Lomachenko is 50 or before he's, you know, Lomachenko's formed a cocoon, mutated into his original form and teleported <laughs> back to his people on Rigel Delta Five, whichever comes first. Um, I do. And, and again, we discussed this last week. I do still think Lopez has a tremendous upside. I, I think his relative struggles in this last fight will do him good. Um, I, I think he's got preternatural skills, but he also needs now needs to marry that with the savvy and craft and guile um, that you need to get past that opposition. And the other thing is when assessing their career, and again, we talked about this last week, it's difficult to get past the short term and know how much it applies in the long term. I worry a little bit about Davis's ability to get some of the opponents he wants and needs to really sort of define his career, at least at the moment, because of boxing politics. Whereas I think that top rank is doing its best to snaffle up available talent in and around the lightweight division for both Lopez and Lomachenko. So... I would say if they got in the ring now, I would pick Javante Davis. But I still wouldn't be at all surprised if at the end of the day, Teofimo Lopez has himself probably the better career and a pretty fine one, too. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's a really good question. Uh, it is. Certain, yeah. Certainly, Javante is, is a little further along right now. But yeah, will he end up having the better career? And in terms of, you know, who would be favored right now? Javante is a division smaller, so you have to factor that in. It's tough. Uh, you took Teofimo first in the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had Gervonta a few spots higher on my draft board out of the two. I don't know. I'm uh, I'm, I'm inclined to pull the Kieran fence-sitting move here and uh, just say <laughs> that I don't have a clue how to answer either question. Uh, they'll have exactly equal careers, and if they fought tomorrow, it would be a draw. How's that? Um, or, Shameful. Or it... You'd never catch me saying <laughs> that kind of thing. I know. Uh, in all seriousness, um, I got... Before I could answer a question like this, I kind of want to see Lopez's next fight. I want to see if that shaky outing he had was a meaningless blip or a sign that he's losing focus, not living and breathing boxing since getting married, and Mm. might be plateauing unexpectedly. I doubt that's the case, but I kind of want to see him fight one more time before I decide quite how all-in I am on Teofimo. Okay. Yeah, no, that seems reasonable. I'll go, I'll go with that. Good question. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yep. Um, all right. That will do it for this abbreviated episode. Uh, we'll be back next week when we'll catch up on any fight results uh, on the weekend of the 17th that we may have missed. I will give everybody a briefing on Antarctica in <laughs> advance of the great heavyweight fight that will be taking place there. Uh, and we'll also look back at Showbox, at Kovalev, Yardi, and the rest. And we will also look ahead to Vasily Lomachenko uh, returning from his uh, alien lair to fight Luke Campbell and other fights to close out August. Until then, thanks for listening.